Amen. Okay, you may be seated. And you guys are wound up tonight. Because there's joy in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Okay, so really, I mean, you know, I'm going to be sharing with you, uh, but you're the, the, you know, the most important part of the deal is you guys and what we've been doing tonight, because tonight literally is the beginning of the new year in God's calendar. It starts tonight, new year. Forget January 1st, it starts tonight in God's calendar. And a couple of things I just wanted to mention to you, uh, you know, so yes, we believe, I mean, we started doing this in 2008 and, and you guys are still coming, it's so cool. So um, now at the end, because in many ways, the first year that we started, when I first started doing this thing, you know, I, I had this idea, a Jewish, uh, you know, brother, friend of mine, Mark Bilt said, Ray, why, why doesn't the church do any of the fall feasts? He goes, you do all the spring feasts, you know, you have Passover, like a good Friday service, you do an Easter service on first fruits, you maybe do Pentecost, but he goes, how come you don't do the, and I go, okay, the fall feasts, uh, you know, so, okay, Rosh Hashanah, uh, Yom Kippur. I said, well, they're Jewish. And he said, Ray, he goes, in Leviticus 23, they're called the feasts of the Lord. Is he your Lord? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, then this feast is for you. So we're going to talk about why in the, and there may be, Sure, there's somebody here. You got invited by somebody. You're like, what in the world did I get invited to? You don't have no clue. What are we doing on this night? So I'm going to try to fill you in on what's happening and why we're doing this, and why is a Christian church celebrating not only a Jewish uh, holiday, but what we want to describe as a biblical holiday. It's in the Bible. So. Okay, real quick, I wanted to just mention, we weren't able because of COVID and all that to go to Israel when we're supposed to be going uh, within, a, you know, October of this year. So we are going to be going to Israel and taking a tour, Lord willing, should the Lord tarry, no guarantee that he will, hallelujah, but in 2023, that's when we would plan to go. Um, so let me also say this, I have a, there's a table out there on the corner, um, it's our Nehemiah fund, and I think Jared briefly mentioned that to you, whatever you give tonight is going to go to our Nehemiah fund, so we have our regular tithes, offerings, people that go to the church, and our missions programs, and all the other things, but uh, many uh, years ago, we started what we call the Nehemiah fund, where the Jews came back to rebuild and restore, so we, f we believe, biblically, <laughs> that what has been happening literally within our lifetimes, uh, that there is such a thing as a nation called Israel. Uh, you, you have to understand something. For being a Christian, basically for 2,000 years of the church, there was no Israel. There's only two generations where there has been a church within Israel, and the first one was when Jesus was here on the earth himself. 
And the only other generation in 2,000 years of church history where there's also an Israel happens to be your and my generation. And we believe that this is not men, you know, it's not men doing this. It, it is a miracle. And by the way, you go to anybody and any, you know, college campus, any professor, whatever, and say, has there ever been an ancient people who had a homeland that they said had a relationship with God and then lost their homeland for nearly 2,000 years but said that their God told them that in the latter years and in the latter days, they would come back to their original homeland, never happened to any other uh, part of the human race in human history, only the Jewish people. So we have an Israel. And I believe, I mean, our church is called Maranatha. Oh Lord, come. Everybody say Maranatha. Maranatha is in the Bible, and it means, oh, Lord, come. Can I hear an amen on that? Oh, Lord, come. So we believe that we're not just supposed to be sitting in the stands eating popcorn while God's working, bringing Jews back to Israel, but he's called us out of the stands to get on the field. We are to step into the story of what God is doing and participate with him. So we have a special, so if you gave anything tonight, it's gonna to go to the Nehemiah Fund, and that goes to our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters. And you know, look, when, when the Jewish people, were the, they were the first ones to believe in Jerusalem. And by the way, if you're a Gentile tonight, I wanna tell you something, uh, you know, Romans chapter 15 says, that you, you and I Gentiles, who now are the sons of God, we got the Holy Spirit, we're going to heaven, we're forgiven, we're part of the royal family. The, how did we get the good news? Because 2,000 years ago, the, the apostles, who were all of them Jews, died and were martyred and shed their blood so that we could have eternal life. And Paul wrote, to the church in Romans 15, verses 25 through 27, and he made a collection of all the, you know, predominantly Gentile churches throughout Europe, and he said, hey, give me some money. I need to bring it back to our poor brothers and sisters back home, and by the way, you owe them. You owe them. They blessed you with spiritual things, you owe them in some material things. So that's why we do it, and we're being obedient to the Lord. So that's where that goes. Now, the other thing is, so I have a series of books uh, that is called the Elijah Chronicles, and there's three of them, um, and on the mountain of the Lord, the threshing floor, and then this is my latest one from the Thrasher called the Cyrus Mandate. It's basically a story that tells about a modern couple and what God's doing with Israel. I think you will enjoy it, and it just so happens this particular weekend, I just got my brand new, fresh manuscript for book four that will be coming out this fall. So, and that one is going to be called as the days of Noah. And um, because I believe we're living in the days of Noah. Because I believe Jesus is coming back. But, <laughs> but what I want to say about it is uh, all the proceeds, if anybody buys a book or you give it to a friend or whatever, all the proceeds from those books and the new one that's coming out goes to the Nehemiah Fund, okay? So hallelujah for that. Now, um, okay, so I'm preparing you because, you know, when we get done in a little bit, now I, I, I want to share with you some things from my heart, and I believe 
you know, I want to, obviously, I want to teach you. I want to, if you've been, you're here for the first time, you're like, what are they doing? So I want to try to fill in the blanks and help you understand what, what we're doing. But we're here on a very special night. Uh, and what we're doing as God's children, uh, as the church and as Christians, we are tonight stepping into the biblical calendar. Tonight is according to the biblical calendar. And uh, what we're gonna do at the very end is we're gonna pass out the, the trumpets, the little shofars for the kids. And, and then you guys, you, your trumpet is right here, your mouth, and all that brought their trumpets, but we're going to, here's basically what God said. He had a whole feast, and by the way, that's what we're doing tonight. It's God's idea, it's called the Feast of Trumpets, and the only thing he said to do in it is to get together, have a feast, eat, have a party at my house, make a lot of noise, praise me, and blow the shofars. That's it. So we'll describe what that is and what it means. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Um, Lord, this is a very, very uh, prophetic hour, moment, and time tonight itself. And I pray that everybody that is listening and our brothers and sisters around the world, and especially we lift up and pray for our brothers and sisters in the horrific situation in Afghanistan. God, have mercy upon our precious brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. And may every American citizen who is wanting to get out of there be delivered and get out and protected and lay every Afghani that became helpful or whatever is afraid or doesn't want to stay, let them also, Lord, be able to come out and especially our beloved uh, boys and girls and men and women that are our brothers and sisters and they are Afghan. So now may you speak to us, may we hear the word of the Lord and may we receive it. We ask it all in the worthy and precious name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to go to uh, Leviticus chapter 23. And um, in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. We're gonna, I want you to read this uh, out loud. I mean, how, how amazing. And we're having a feast and a party, and you hear the pastor go, open your Bibles to Leviticus. How fun. Okay. <laughs> Leviticus 23, verses 1 and 2. Say, and read it out loud with me. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. So here's what I want you to notice. Uh, number one, and I, I put in the definitions of those Hebrew words. So the Lord speaks to Moses. He says, Tell the children of Israel, and say to them, The feasts of the Lord. The word feast in Hebrew means divine appointments. They're divine appointments. And so tonight uh, is the only one of, and there's seven feasts here, it's the only one of the seven that has to happen on the first day of the month. It's where you see the, you know, a thumbnail, a little crescent moon. There had to be two priests in Jerusalem who looked up into the sky and, you know, look up there and say, okay, is it now? Okay, maybe not quite, it's still dark. And then all of a sudden, whoo, there's the crescent moon. 
But, you know, sometimes there would be clouds, there would be weather, they maybe didn't see it. They wanted to make sure because God's whole calendar is exact on the moon. So they began from ancient times to modern times to celebrate this one feast of the set on two days. In other words, one of the names of this Feast of Trumpets is the one long day. It's really two days, why? Because if they missed one or the other, they wanna make sure by those two days they got the exact beginning of the new moon, the crescent moon. And therefore it got the nickname, the feast, you do not know the day or the hour. Now that's what Jesus said. He said, I'm coming back like a thief. But I'm coming in a day and an hour, you won't know. Well, you and I go, oh, so it could be anywhere, anytime, or whatever. But to a Jewish person, they go, oh, Feast of Trumpets. It'd be like saying to an American, look, you know, you're in Europe, hey, I'm coming to your house, the weekend you guys are having turkey and apple pie and, you know, dump, you know dumplings and all that kind of stuff. And they go, oh, we're gonna be Thanksgiving. So that's what I believe. So look, I believe that the, the Feast of Trumpets points to the rapture of the church. I think the rapture could happen at any time during the year. It's a mystery. But I will tell you, I get a little extra excited on the Feast of Trumpets. Yeah. Amen? So they're divine appointments. And then he says, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. And the Hebrew meaning of the word convocations is rehearsals. So God said, I want you to be in my house. Uh, you know, no matter where you live in Israel, north, south, east, and west, I want you to be in my city, Jerusalem, in my holy mountain, Mount Moriah, at my house of the temple, and I want you to be there on these seven dates for the seven feasts of the Lord. How would you like to have on your day planner for a whole year, seven dates where God personally from heaven invited you to come to his house and he said, if you show up in my house, I'll manifest my glory to you. Would you wanna be on that? So that's what this is, they're rehearsals. So they had Passover, you know the story of Moses and finally the, the final plague and the firstborns and get the, take the blood of an innocent lamb without spot or blemish, put it on the doorpost. This side, the doorpost, that side, on the lintel, beam, boom, boom, boom. It was a picture foreshadowing the coming Messiah. But they did, so they had the Passover, and then God said, next year, on the exact same day that you had the original Passover, where I launched you all out of Egypt and delivered you from 400 years of slavery, he said, I want you to do it on the same day, exactly every year, because it's a rehearsal. I did that special for you there out of Egypt, but I got more in mind. You know how many years they've been doing it? 1,500 years, 1,500 Passovers. That's a lot of Passovers. But did you know that about on the 1,500th time that the whole nation was getting the lamb and putting the blood on the doorposts and the lentil beams on the very day of Passover 2,000 years ago. A man named Yeshua of Nazareth was lifted up on the cross and was nailed left hand, right hand, head with a crown of thorns, bleeding, to whom the prophet John had said, behold, that man is the Lamb of God that is going to take away the sins of the whole world. 
So on that Passover, 1,500 years later, it went from rehearsal to reality. You get it? Now, okay, so um, let's see. Should I go to that one or the other one? Let's, let's go to, oh, you've got it. There it is. So this makes it so easy. I'm going to go back here. Okay, so Jesus was, he was crucified on the first feast, his Passover. Did you know that the second feast is the second day? It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the idea is, you know, the whole thing, unleavened bread, leaven is a type of sin because leaven puffs up the bread and leaven being, you know, puffs us up with pride. So leaven out of the, well, that's the day Jesus was buried in the tomb. He was without sin. Well, why did he have to die if he didn't have any sin? Because he was doing it for somebody else. Just like the lamb was dying for somebody else. So the third feast is on the third day, and it's called the Feast of First Fruits. As farmers, they give all the first fruits to the Lord on the third feast. And literally, again, it was on the day of the third feast exactly. You know what happened on the third day? Jesus rose from the dead. He is the first fruits of resurrection. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that lives and believes in me, though you were dead, yet shall he live. He that liveth and believe in me shall never die. Because he, he literally took death on and he died in our place. But because he was pure and holy legally before the court of heaven, death could not legally hold on to his body. And therefore he said, anybody that lets me inside of their heart, I will give them my resurrection, life, glory, and power forever and ever. So then 40 or 50 days later, you have the fourth feast. So after the first fruits, 50 days later, it's Pentecost. And now Jesus is appearing for those 50 days to the disciples. And this is the most amazing thing about the whole story. It's not like, you know, this religion that was kind of made up, like all these Jewish guys, you know, faking about Jesus. And they didn't even believe that he was alive from the, he, how many times did he tell them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem this time. I'm going to be given in the hands of wicked people. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die, be buried, and I'll rise on the third day. They went, okay. And then they didn't, they didn't believe it. They were horrible. <laughs> Horrible disciples. <laughs> they were. And then when the women went, and they didn't go because he was risen, they went to perfume it because, you know, his body's decaying and it smells bad. Oh, they're crying. And then the gardener stands and says, hey, Mary. She goes, oh, tell me where they put his body. <laughs> you mean gardener. <laughs> and he goes, Mary, it's me. She said, what? She's running. Mary, the Jewish Olympic runner. To the, hey, he's alive. No. That's what they said. Peter and John are like, let's go check it out. So they ran. And the funny thing is that Peter and John ran to the tomb because the women, crazy, said Jesus is alive. And they saw him. Now it's an apparition. Can't be real. 
And when they get there, and and, in John's gospel, he says, both Peter and I ran, and then John happens to add, and I was the first one to get to the tomb. (laughs) It has nothing to do with the story whatsoever. It's just him saying, I was faster than Peter, and I got there first, and I checked it all out. I'm serious. And then they go, he's alive. Thomas said, don't do this to me. Don't mess with me. I'm not going to believe you guys. Not none of you. All these apparitions, your dreams. Don't mess with me. I won't believe till I put my finger in his hand, my hand into his side. So they're in closed doors because look what they did to Jesus. Now they're trying to find his followers. They're going to do it to them. They're terrified. So they're in a house, hiding, locked doors. Jesus shows up. So his new resurrected body could walk through walls. So he walks in and he says, hey, Thomas. You want to put your finger in my hand? You want to put your hand in my side? What did Thomas do? Did he run up? Let me check it out. No, he dropped to his knees and said, oh, my Lord and my God. Game over. Then, those kind of loser disciples ended up going and all of them dying as martyrs. Peter, I don't know if you know this, was crucified, but when they crucified him, he said, I'm not worried that he be crucified like my Lord. Put mine upside down. So you have men, 11 men, who died saying, I'm telling you, I wasn't a great religious guy, but I saw Jesus risen from the dead, and they all died telling the same story. And that's why today, in the year 2021, there's 2.6 to 2.7 billion, with it be, lovers and followers of Jesus Christ, both Jewish and Gentile. It's the largest religion in the world. It's the fastest growing religion in the world. It's the truth. So now in the summer, you have the, in the summer, there's no feasts. But then in the fall, you have the next one. There's one, the next one coming. So look, if Jesus died on Passover, was buried on unleavened bread, he rose from the dead on the first feast of first fruits, 50 days later, he, you know, the Holy Spirit fell, 3,000 got saved, Peter preached, and the, all these Jews got saved. Tens of thousands of Jews became saved. So if you're Jewish and you live back then and you follow the calendar like every Jew, you're going, wow, boom, 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 boom. You're a believer. But then you have the summer harvest. That's been the church age. God's been taking a Gentile from here and a Jew from here and putting and making one new man. Called the bride, the church. But the next one to be fulfilled, the next feast to be fulfilled, which I thought was a Jewish feast because it's called Rosh Hashanah, which means the new year, But it also is called the Feast of Trumpets. And I believe that that trumpet is gonna be heard by every child of God, Jew and Gentile, who has the Holy Spirit inside of them. And that's what's coming soon. Okay, so Leviticus 23, verse 24. Let's go to the next verse. Uh, Let's read this out loud together. Speak to the children of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. 
So what I want to talk about is what are we remembering? What are we memorializing uh, here? And so here's the next, the first point. And I, so here's what I'm going to be sharing with you, and I'm going to try to go through it quickly, these little bullet points, but we're going to be blowing the shofars, we're going to be making noise, we're going to be rejoicing in the Lord, and here's why. Number one, through the blowing of the shofar, we are coronating God as the king of the universe. Now listen, the sound of a trumpet is a powerful and recurring symbol in scripture. When the Lord instituted the Feast of Trumpets, he is letting all of us know that when you hear trumpets, and, and I give you a day, and I tell you, blow the trumpet, something powerful, supernatural, and important is about to happen. So the Feast of Trumpets is also called Rosh Hashanah. So say Rosh Hashanah. And it's understood, so it's not only when we say blowing of the trumpet, it's literally the blowing of a ram's horn. There are two words for trumpet in Hebrew. And there was other trumpets that like used in the temple and stuff, the silver trumpets, you know, like a, you know, those kind of trumpets that we blow. But there's another word in Hebrew that is called shofar, but it's also a trumpet. But the trumpet comes from an animal, it comes from a ram. It is literally a ram's horn that you make noise through. And it is in Psalm 89 verse 15, it says, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. That is also that same Hebrew word for shofar can not only mean blowing a shofar trumpet, but it's a joyful sound to God. So what I want to, you know, when you listen to a, a, uh, somebody blow a shofar, uh, you know, forget about you. It's about God. And I want to tell you something. When we blow shofars tonight, you are touching something deep within the creator of the universe. You are touching something deep within God Almighty. Because where does it come from? It goes back, and I shared this this last weekend for those who were here. If you're not part of our church, you didn't hear it, but I'll just tell real quick. It was when Abraham was to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah, and then at the last minute, the angel of the Lord says, no, don't, wait, stop. I see that you're willing to, you love me, and you're willing to sacrifice your son, but look, there's a ram caught in the thicket. God has now seen your heart, that you're willing to give up your son your only son that you love. And I mentioned, and I'll say it again here tonight, in, in that story in Genesis 21 and 22, when it says, the son whom you love, I want you to sacrifice him to me. That's the first time in the entire Bible the word love is used. It's the story of a father who was willing to sacrifice his son. Do, do you follow where this is going? and yet received him back as a substitute, kind of like a resurrection. And so, you know who was the happiest on that day to see that ram? Isaac! <laughs> he wasn't some little boy that got wrestled into it by his dad. They tell us he was a young man and he could have said, Dad, you know, you've been hearing things and I'm not going with you. But this story is such that not only Abraham was confused, but Isaac was like, I don't get it, but dad, I love you and I trust God that you hear God and therefore I willingly give my body to you. 
about a father who was willing to lay down his son's life and a son who was willing to trust his father. Do you see where this is going? Yes, sir. That's the whole story. That's, that's why Abraham is the father of our faith for Jews and Gentiles for the last 4,000 years. It's very, very powerful. But that's why when, and, and not only this, so not only does it, it stirs God in all of his creative power and passion when he hears a ram's horn and people blowing it, knowing what it means to him. But guess what, on the other side, it gives a terrible splitting headache to the devil. He can't stand the sound of a shofar. It ruins his world. It wrecks him. It terrifies him. It puts fear in him. Because of the obedience of the son, he lost legal right to torment men 2,000 years ago in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Hallelujah. So this is why, starting with Abraham, out of Abraham came Isaac, and then Jacob, and then the 12 sons, and then Israel. And so from then on, even as a, you know, ancient people, agricultural basically, when they coronated their king, it was with the blowing of the shofar. So tonight, we're gonna, so I told this to everybody this last weekend, and I, I gotta share it with you guys tonight. I mean, what we're, what we're doing tonight by blowing a shofar and also symbolically making a joyful sound and noise of praising God and saying, you're my king. This is how you vote in the kingdom of heaven. You vote with your voice, literally. You, vo vo you vote by making a joyful noise saying, you're my king. And I'm telling you, when God's kingdom comes, it's the end of politics for you and me for all eternity. Done. Over with. No more parties. No more voting. It's done. Okay, now, blowing the shofar. Let's go to the next one. Blowing the shofar announces the presence of God in a very supernatural way. In Exodus chapter 19, we see one of the most incredible things this world has ever experienced. The Lord, after he delivered Israel out of Egypt, and he brought them into the wilderness, and there, there's two and a half to three million of them. And they're just families. They, they're not a, there's not an army, there's nothing. They were slaves. And there's several million of them, maybe three million of them. So they're kind of making their way through the wilderness, and as they, they go, God tells their leader, Moses, he goes, see that big mountain, Mount Sinai? He goes, I've heard my people's prayers, I've heard their cries, and I'm coming down. And I'm gonna meet you guys on the top of that mountain. How many of you would love to say, wow, there's a mountain we could go to, and God's gonna reveal himself on the top of that mountain. How many wanna be there? So they all gathered around the mountain, and as they get closer to the mountain, and then God says, now don't get too close, because I'm powerful. And he said, put a boundary around it. You know, don't, don't get too close. He says, but I'm coming down. And when he came down, all of a sudden, they saw a cloud form and billowing up at the top of the mountain. And within, but it wasn't a cloud. It looked like a cloud, but it was a supernatural cloud. Clouds both reveal, you see it, and they also hide and conceal. You can see the cloud, but what's in the cloud? And then inside of the cloud, there was thunderings. <laughs> now, we had, we had some pretty cool thunder here recently. Kind of woke me up in Escondido. 
and there was lightnings and fire and glory on the top of the mountain and thunder, lightning, fire. And so they're all watching. Where's God? There is a cloud. There's thunder. He's got thunder and there's lightning. And then guess what they heard? Inside of all that, they heard the blast of a shofar, and the Bible tells us it was the trumpet of God, not even an angel. Now, look, it, you know, I'm just telling you what it says. Somehow, God Almighty had him a shofar, made the noise of the shofar, like, hey, Moses, hey, you Jewish people, remember Abraham, that story about, you know, Isaac and the ram? I'm talking to you. The voice of God. So the blowing of a shofar reminds us that God's glory is about to be revealed. In Exodus chapter 19, I'm going to just read to you a few verses of that amazing story. It says, and then it came to pass on the third day. <laughs> this is the Old Testament. This is the book of Exodus. When did God reveal his glory on the third day? Does that mean anything to us? And then it came to pass on the third day, not the fourth day or the second day, but the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. It, see, it wasn't a man blowing a shofar on the top of the mountain. It was God blowing a shofar, shaking the ground beneath your feet, and they were trembling. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Now, God is in the midst of that fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. So it's billowing as if the fire has life. And it did. It's a manifestation of God's glory. And the whole mountain quaked greatly. Now look at the next two verses, and I'm going to put this up on the screen. Exodus 19, verses 19 and 20. We're going to read this together shortly. And when, okay, uh, verse 19. Okay, let's read it. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Woo! Now, if you saw all of that on the top of the mountain, would you go up? <laughs> How many of you think you would, you would like to maybe go up, but maybe not so much? How many would go up? Anybody? A few of you. How many of you are like, well, let's let Moses go up and see what happens? <laughs> he might get smoked. Well, they were afraid. So Moses, you get up there, talk to God, up there in that thunder, lightning, fire, and all that. A really loud trumpet, tell us what he says. So that's what Moses did. He went up there. But, so let me just say this. Um, the Lord, I, you know, so uh, all I can tell you is I, I feel the spirit of the Lord, uh, you know, in me and upon me, and I, I don't, 
fully understand everything, but I feel that God has called me and spoken to me, you know, as I have heard his voice, that I am to be, for you and for here and for now, a watchman on the wall. I'm a watchman on the wall of what time it is. And I am, I am saying to you that tonight is not just any night, it's not a normal night, it's not even a normal Rosh Hashanah, New Year, but tonight, because of where we are biblically and what's happening, I'm gonna talk about it in just a few moments, where I believe we are, tonight's trumpet call is announcing that God is now ready, beginning, tonight and into our immediate future to manifest his power, his presence, his glory, his spirit, his ability to save, to heal, to deliver, to make whole, as we have never known before. It is not gonna be church as usual in our immediate future. Nothing is normal anymore. But the presence of God, and that means, and look, I don't care if you're a brand new believer, every child of God has the capacity to hear the voice of God. Otherwise, you wouldn't be saved. Those who are my sheep hear my voice. Somebody, you know, God sends a messenger, like for me it was Billy Graham, because as Roman says, well, how will somebody hear if nobody goes? And how will nobody go unless somebody preaches? And so God raised up Billy Graham, who I saw when I was 10 years old in a movie theater. He was, you know, in a movie, and he's tall, and, and he's just saying, you need Christ. <laughs> you can be forgiven. Right now. Come forward and you'll be saved. And I did, I did. So I, I'm not, <laughs> look, I'm not making fun. It's just that I listened to his, you know, preachings because I tried to preach and be like Billy Graham. So I imitated being Billy Graham when I was young till my wife said, you're not very good at being Billy Graham. Why don't you try to be you? So anyway, but my point is if you're saved, Yes, you may have heard a preacher, heard the gospel, whatever, but it's the Spirit of God who came knocking on the door of your heart. And look, in a few minutes, at the end of this, I'm gonna give an invitation, right where you are, to do what I did when I was 10 years old. I heard, I, I, you know, I heard this story from the Bible and about Jesus, and I heard it through the evangelist Billy Graham, but my spirit said, what that man's saying is true. You are a sinner, 10-year-old sinner, beating up my two brothers that were younger than me. And with anger and rage and all this stuff and different things happening in my family, I, I knew I was a sinner and I wanted forgiveness. And I'd asked Jesus into my life. And I, to this day, remember the peace I felt and experienced. It was a physical, tangible release of fear, anxiety, and guilt, and the peace of heaven came into my soul. And it has not left me since. It's real, because he is alive. Jesus comes inside of you. So what I'm saying is today, if you hear his voice, you need to hear his voice 
for everything that you do and for your family. You, you can't say, well, the pastor said I should do this or that. You need to hear the voice of the Lord. You need to hear what he says to you, and we need to be able to follow him. So, all right, let's go on to the next one real quick. Blowing the shofar declares the downfall of our enemies. So tonight, when we, we're gonna shout, and, it's, and look, I am telling you, I don't want you to be kind of nice about it. I want you to make a loud, joyful sound. I'm giving you permission to let it out. We got a lot of pent up stuff that we've been pounded by the devil. And we're getting that stuff knocked off of us. And we're gonna tell him how we really feel without fear, without shame. So blowing the shofar declares the downfall of our enemies when the walls of Jericho crumbled. So you know the story, 40 years after the encounter that they had at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel were poised to enter into the promised land. But when they got right to the edge of it, there was this one city that became the logistic key to the whole land that God had promised. And it was a city named Jericho, dedicated to a moon god that was full of immorality and uh, idolatry and witchcraft. And God wanted to deliver them. In fact, he was gonna deliver some of the Jericho people. So this was the first city the Israelites would need to defeat. So following Joshua's instructions, the Israelites Here's the battle plan. Imagine, you're, you're three million people. It's just grandpas and grandmas, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews, brothers and sisters, moms and dads. Okay, what's, what are we gonna do? What's our battle plan? He goes, start worshiping, put all the worshipers, and just then all the people follow the worshipers and just go in a big circle around the whole thing. How, how, how does that sound as a battle plan? <laughs> do it, and okay, so, all right, day one, what are we gonna do tomorrow? Now we're gonna do the same thing. March around it, a lot of praise at the beginning, you know, and just march around. Okay, day one, two, three, four, five, six. What are we gonna do tomorrow? <laughs> gonna do the same thing, only this time we're gonna do it seven times. That was the plan. How many would agree that doesn't sound like a normal military plan? <laughs> Sounds a little crazy. And I wonder what the, you know, the people in Jericho had these big thick walls, they're safe, and they're going, wow, these whoop, whoop. <laughs> But they were confused, and they saw that thing that they were carrying way out front, and that the people were close. They were like, man, that's their God. And then on the seventh day, after they did it seven times, he said, okay, now, when I give you the word, all three million of you, I want you to let your mouth make a joyful sound, a shofar-like teruah sound. And all y'all that have shofars and trumpets, I want you to blow those shofars. And God said he's gonna do something very special. So 3,000 people, one, two, three. Imagine three million people roaring for their lives. And the trumpets are blaring. And God is watching, hearing. You're blowing my shofar, you're blowing my trumpet. Bam, the walls break. I mean, this is not, this is supernatural. I believe there was legions of angels with big sledgehammers going, come on now, now, now. Wait for the trumpets. <laughs> and it was over. So here's what I'm saying, and, and tonight is not just a one and done. Now if I may say this, 
I am speaking to you from what I hear from the Lord that what we do tonight is something that is also going to be a pattern just like they repeated it the next day. This is a pattern that tonight you're gonna feel empowered when you let out that roar of praise. And you are then to do it again tomorrow at your home and in your school and in your workplace. And those who have tried to saltify you and choke you or keep you, don't say anything. And, and you're just going to like, no, I'm opening my mouth. God is good. The Lord is here. Jesus is alive. The Spirit is with me and upon me. Hallelujah. The glory of God. So... And so now we could have literally, you're, you're, each one of you, if you live that way every day, you go knocking down walls everywhere you go. Can I hear an amen on that? Yeah. All right, the next one, quickly. David danced with all his might, bringing the ark into Jerusalem with the sound of the shofar. This talks about, you know, it's a whole story in the Old Testament where they, they had lost, let go, been stolen, the Ark of the Covenant, David's bringing it back, he didn't do it the right way, God said, no, you have to do it this way. But when David finally heard the Lord, and you know, because they, you know, they put the Ark on a cart with oxen or whatever, and that, you know, okay, now it's kind of going down the road, they were afraid of it, and it hits a bump in the road, and so Uzzah was there, and he was like, oh no, the Ark of the Covenant is going to fall and break or, you know, get smashed or whatever. So he reached up to help the Ark not fall and tumble. And the Spirit of God broke out and killed him. So David's like, well, forget that then. He got angry at God. God, man, I'm trying to bring your Ark back to the temple and you killed my guy that was trying to save it from... And he had to pout and seek the Lord. And finally, one of the priests said, you know, you might want to read the Bible again. <laughs> because we weren't doing it the right way. What are you talking about? No, it says you're not supposed to do it on a cart. It's actually supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. God said, don't put my presence and my seat on a wooden cart driven by animals. He said, my glory, my power, my presence is only meant to rest on the shoulders of men whom I made in my own image and my own likeness. So David's like, oh, okay. He goes, okay, now the ark is on the shoulders of men, like God's word says. And then David, to even make sure, and they had a long distance to go, so, but David made it so that they, he said, take six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six, stop. Put it down, let's, sac let's worship. All right, let's take six more steps. He's waiting, God's gonna kill us or smote us or something, you know. So every six steps, they took their time, and then they finally get it there. But when he's finally bringing it into its place, into its proper place, David is healed, and David is restored, and all of a sudden, David starts dancing in front of all the people. And it says he danced like a little child. It's, the Hebrew word is he cavorted. He's kind of like, So he's dancing like that. Now, 
his wife is humiliated, like, oh my goodness, the king, David, you, you humiliated me and my family and all of that. And David comes to her and he says, no. He goes, you know what? I will not receive your criticism of the way that I just worship God like a child from my heart. Michael, you are of your father, who is Saul. King Saul was a man who worshiped God in a different way. He worshiped with logic and with reason. But there was a time when God had told Saul, you know, the Amalekites, their, their wickedness and their idolatry and their witchcraft is all within them. I want you to destroy everything, even, you know, the cattle. And so Saul, in his logic and reason, said, okay, I'll kill all the weaker ones or the ones that are not good and clean. He goes, but logic tells me I'll save the good ones so then we can sacrifice those good ones to the Lord. Logical, reasonable. And then God said, you're done. You don't represent me no more. Now look, I wanna say this. God is not against logic per se, nor is he against reason. God wants, he likes logic. He likes reason. He likes logical, reasonable people. But you don't worship purely out of your logic and reason. You go out of heart and spirit, even if you are willing to humble yourself like a little child. David acted like he was a little boy out in the fields, which is probably how he wrote many of his psalms. Dad, do you remember when it was just you and me and the sheep? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Those were the things that he, and so that's what God wants. God wants a heart dedicated to him. So I'm gonna read this to you. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14 says, Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. So they're dancing before the Lord. So, you know, look, in a few minutes, we're going we're gonna to sing and we're going to worship. And I'm going to, look, I just, I'm going to give you permission to move a little bit. It's not a dance floor. But... You know, and whatever it is that, that's in your heart that is childlike, and it's different from everybody, but what I want I to say this because it's important, and the whole story of Saul, pure logic, pure reason, David from the heart and by the Spirit, it just doesn't work in our relationship with God uh, to just be external like that. In fact, Saul was his logic and reason because he only relied on that led him to disobey God, and that breaks relationship. So God wants tender hearts, young hearts, that don't care what the world thinks. They don't care what anybody thinks. The only person I care who thinks about anything is my daddy in heaven. And I want to make him happy. And I love you, daddy, and I don't care who looks. I love you. So we're going to celebrate from our hearts. Amen? Amen. Now, the next one is a serious one. Just a couple more. The blowing of the shofar also announces the hour of judgment has come. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read this out loud. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, 
uh, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So here's what I want to say. And I'm not going to get real you know, detailed in the weeds, but I, 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 as a watchman on the wall, I am telling you what God is, what his spirit is saying to me. So I'm saying you take this and you go confirm it, that the Lord would confirm what he is saying, because if it's true, he will confirm it. But I am telling you that we're the, and I'm not just America, the whole world right now is under judgment. The world has rejected the gospel in every, about every different way you could imagine, and the world is no longer working. It's not working. And it's, it's almost God doesn't have, judgment is not God having to send lightning bolts. Judgment happens by you doing stuff that God said don't do that, because if you do that, it'll all fall apart. And it's falling apart. God didn't even need to help it fall apart. It just doesn't, lying doesn't work, stealing doesn't work, cheating doesn't work, immorality doesn't work, selfishness doesn't work, greed doesn't work. It breaks, it falls apart, and the world's coming apart. And therefore, the judgment of God is upon it. He's allowing it to happen. So that is a message for us to realize tonight. But everyone who is found written in the book, in a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to have your name written in the book of life. So finally, last one. When Messiah comes, you will hear the blowing of a mighty trumpet. Amen? Amen. So read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, <laughs> so look, I'm not putting this into any denominational thing or whatever. What I'm just telling you that, you know, Jesus gave his life and he came from heaven and eternity and then he showed us what it's like to be a human being and he showed us the way, the truth, and the life and he did nothing but heal people and resurrect people and deliver people from nasty demons and, and show us the way, the truth, and the life. And then he died in our place and then he was buried and then everybody that he trained and loved and followed deserted him and he knew it was gonna happen and they all left him but then they came back. And he's been sitting on that throne 2,000 years, waiting, waiting for the right moment. And part of that right moment was, and I believe this with all my heart, that God is the one who said through the ancient Hebrew prophet Ezekiel 2,500 years ago, God said, I'm gonna prove to the whole world that atheists, the other religions, the other gods, their idolatry, their human reason, all that stuff. I'm gonna to prove to them that I'm God and that I'm the creator. He goes, because I, I, my people, I'm gonna judge them because they went away from me and they worshiped idols. I'm gonna let their whole house fall apart in my temple where my supernatural glory came and they will be scattered to the four corners of the earth, all over the earth. But he also said, but they will not lose their identity. 
I don't care if they go to Africa. I don't care if they go to Asia. I don't care if they go to Europe. I don't care if they go to America. They will still be known as Jews. They will not, because in the end, I'm not done with them. I'm going to bring them back home. I'm going to resurrect them like dead bones out of the ground. Do you realize the nation of Israel is a nation that was dead for 2,000 years and got resurrected in 1948? That's never happened to any other people in human history. Why? What is God saying through Israel? And it, you can't, Israel's a little tiny country with 14 million people, and they're on the front page of the second page of newspapers all over the world. How does that happen? God. And what God is, God is preaching a sermon. Every time Israel and the Jews, whatever the deal is that people are talking about in politics or whatever, they're acknowledging when they say Israel and Jews, that the God 4,000 years ago with Abraham had a purpose and a plan, and God resurrected them. Interestingly, Peter said, well, how, you know, when do we know when the Lord's going to come? He said, well, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So they were dead for 2,000 years. So God's basically saying, so Israel was dead for two days, and at the beginning of the third day, I'm going to resurrect them in the front of the whole world. And... What God is doing is preaching a sermon that the world cannot ignore. He goes, if I could resurrect a dead nation, it proves I resurrected my son, the Messiah, on the third day 2,000 years ago. So, I close with this, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. I love this. Paul wrote, we will not all sleep. He did not say we will not all die because I want to tell you something. I know some people say, wow, we've lost some believers and they died because of Corona. Not one Christian died because of Corona. They might have fallen asleep. That's the New Testament replaces the word died with sleep because Christians who have Jesus in them do not die. They're not dead. We will not all sleep. Some of us won't even die. But we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when Jesus gets up and stands up from his throne and gets ready to come back down, He's going to repeat the triumphal entry. Remember the triumphal entry? Hey, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then they crucified him, you know, within the week. But that was because he came the first time as a lamb. Well, he's coming back a second time to do that same run. And he's coming right back where he lifted off and went to heaven. Mount of Olives on the eastern side. He's coming down. I was here before as a lamb. I'm telling you, though, this time, this time, the world's going to see a lion, a lion, and every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess, and he's going to go right down that triumphal entry, and they will be shouting, and he says, even my people will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, amen? So that is, and then he says he's coming where they shout. How undignified of him. I believe that Jesus has earned the right to shout. <laughs> All right.
So you've been sitting a long time, I'm done. Stand up, everybody, and I'm gonna ask the worship team to come out, because we're getting ready. But I want you to bow your head for just a moment, and I wanna give, just for a moment, I want you to be still, because there are angels everywhere here. By the way, if you don't know, every single one of you has, that is a believer, at least one, Guardian angel, some of you have more, some of you need more. <laughs> but you're, not, you're never alone. But Jesus has always been with you from the time you were conceived, and I know many of you come from, you know, well, all of us really come from sinful, broken parents, broken homes. Now you can remain broken and bitter the rest of your life, alone and empty. But Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and what that means is you hear in a still, small voice in your heart, I know it's true. I know it's true. I know Jesus is who he claims to be. It rings true in my spirit. Because you're not only a body with a mind, you have a spirit. And that's the one that, so now, the deal is, he knocks. He doesn't come in without an invitation. You have to open the door. Nobody goes to heaven unless they want to go to heaven. God doesn't force a relationship on anybody. So I'm going to say a very simple childlike prayer. I'm going to invite everybody that knows the Lord. This is what we do here to pray out loud with me. We're not getting saved over and over. We're just remembering and rehearsing the beauty of salvation. But there may be somebody here for the very first time, or maybe you were, and then you kind of went away, and you're, you're like, whoa, man, i got to come back. And you want to rededicate your life, then you pray, if you're willing. And this is, I cannot overemphasize how God Almighty is watching you right now. The eye of heaven is on you. He loves you. He, he sent his son. Jesus died for you. He wants to come in you. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. He'll give you the gift of eternal life. He'll unlock the, your true destiny and purpose in life. I mean, it's, you're, you're gonna be a royal kid spoiled for eternity. But you have to open the door. And this is how you do it. We're going to ask forgiveness that we're all sinners and broken, and then we're going to ask him to come in, and he will. I'm telling you, you ask him to come in, he will come in. You will never be the same, and you will never regret it. So say, if you're willing, out loud with me this simple, childlike prayer. Dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I am so sorry for everything that I've done wrong. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being my Passover lamb. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive the gift of eternal life. Now help me follow you, Jesus. All the way to heaven until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.